Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. You probably have heard the phrase, um, remember the reason for the season? And that reason is Jesus. And as the song that we just sang proclaims, Jesus came to earth to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And with his victory over sin and death and evil, he reigns as king forevermore with all of those who believe and follow him. That sounds like a great reason to celebrate, doesn't it? So how are you doing on your preparations for celebrating the reason for Christmas? Have you started listening to much Christmas music yet? Um, I'm a bit of a Scrooge as far as my family thinks um, because I have a rule. We can't play any Christmas music until the day after Thanksgiving. And then we go, right? Nice. And we just play. We just play it. We enjoy it. Um, This past Thursday night, MBF hosted the Strasburg Elementary Annual uh, Christmas Choir Concert. And it just kind of kicked in me maybe wanting to listen to some of those songs more. You know, some of my favorites like, I don't know, Jingle Bells, Uh, I'll Be Home for Christmas, Blue Christmas, uh, Wizards of Winter. Um, I just can't get into Wham's Last Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? All right. Recently, I was reminded by actually an Anglican priest named Peter Colilio that many of the older traditional hymns and carols of Christmas have an incredible, great theology to them. They have a great message about the reason for the season. You know, songs like, O Come, All Ye Faithful, We Three Kings, Joy to the World, O Holy Night. And another song that Pastor Tim is going to lead us in the first verse of. familiar? That song was composed in 1851 by a guy named Jason or John Mason Neal. And he composed it by actually going back and translating a 7th century Latin text that celebrated the incarnation of Christ and a number of titles of who Christ is. And then the melody behind it that we sing is actually from a 5th century funeral procession song. 
And I think that's why it has that somber tone to it, doesn't it? I think the song gives you a feel of some people who are going through some great suffering and trial, yet they're looking ahead towards joy and freedom. Of course, that song was intentionally made to match scripture. Um, The words mourns and lowly exile here recalls a time in Israel's history when Jerusalem was captured, destroyed, and a remnant of the people were taken away to exile in Babylon. Now, why did those horrible events happen? Well, biblical prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Hosea, and Habakkuk, and yes, that is a real book in the Bible, proclaimed the exile of Israel and Judah was because of their sin, their sin against God their shameful worship of false gods, their arrogance and their pride, their turning from God to do what they thought was good in their own eyes, trusting in their own abilities instead of trusting in God. And a psalmist wrote in Psalm 25 a lament about the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of the people. And part of the lament says this, turn to me and have mercy for I am alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse Oh, save me from them all. Feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive all of my sins. See how my many enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me. Rescue my life from them. Do not let me be disgraced, for in you I take refuge. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. Oh God, ransom Israel from all of its troubles. Israel faced a bleak future. No Jerusalem, no temple, no country. Perhaps they felt like, well, Japan felt in 1945. On August 6, 1945, we dropped the first atomic bomb on the town of Hiroshima. A third of the population was gone in the blink of an eye. In fact, uh, some of them left behind eerie shadows that were etched into the ground. Another third of the population would die over the next couple of months from radiation as well as injuries sustained during the massive fires that happened miles away from the blast. At the time, experts said that nothing would ever grow in Hiroshima for the next 75 years. Absolute devastation with little hope. In the case of Israel, however, the prophets, like Isaiah, while he was talking about the destruction coming, he also foretold of a time that there would be a Messiah, an anointed one, a king in the line of David, a savior who would restore the nation of Israel and would bring the return of hope. The song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, reflects a tension between sorrow and joy, a tension between a call to repentance and a call to celebration. Maybe tension between longing for the relief from the tyranny of the present and longing for a hope of the future. Perhaps even a tension between mournful confession of our failings and expectant release that happens with forgiveness. This is the same tension that fills the pages of the Bible. And I think if we're honest, it fills the days of our lives as well. While we love the fun and happy songs of Christmas, songs like Frosty the Snowman and Deck the Halls and Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, 
I think there's also great wisdom to listen to some of those older songs that look at the reality of life and the meaning of the Christmas season. Songs like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel that help us examine what life really means. I want you to think and listen to the opening verse of the song again. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. This morning, I want to explore the purpose of why Jesus came. Two weeks ago, Pastor Don talked about the fact that we have a problem. That problem is sin. It's our choices. It's our rebellion against God, which negatively impacts every relationship in our life. And we need a Savior. We need a Messiah so that we can be freed from the slavery of sin that we have chosen, our selfishness, our addictions, our pride. Last week, Pastor Tim talked about the fact that we have a very real enemy, Satan. He tempts and he deceives and he wants nothing more than to ruin our relationship with God and to keep us from God. Yet Jesus came into the world to undo the works of the devil so that we could be eternally saved and redeemed and forgiven. And if you put these two together, we have something that we call the gospel. The gospel is the good news that we can have a relationship now and forever with Jesus Christ while he redeems, forgives, heals, and transforms us. The great story arc of the Bible, the main theme of the Bible is something called the Missio Dei. And that's Latin for the mission of God. And God's mission is to redeem all of creation back to himself through the ministry of Jesus Christ. In church, we often talk about the cosmic rescue mission that Jesus did for us. He came to save us from hell by atoning for our sins on the cross so that we could spend eternity forgiven and with him. But there's more to the story. And I think it's an important piece that's incredibly important to us today. Part of the story is that Jesus came to be with us, Emmanuel. And that word means God with us. He came so that we could have a transforming and healing and forgiving relationship with him forever, but also right now. Jesus came so that we could have maybe a new way of being human, not tied to the slavery of sin, but something different where we could have true joy and peace in the midst of all of the stuff that happens around us so that he could transform our hearts and our attitudes and our behaviors. By removing that chain of slavery off of us, Jesus gives us the ability to truly love God and love others well. I think a lot of us seem to be carrying a great load these days. I sense it in a lot of you. It's kind of the same struggle, struggle and maybe even funk that I'm feeling in my own life. Um, maybe you know the cause of the funk in your life, the extra burden that maybe you're carrying this holiday season. I see it in a lot of the people I talk with and people I counsel. There just seems to be a loss of joy and a loss of emotion, maybe even a loss of hope in some case. And perhaps this cause is things like family conflict or finances or health issues, aging, stress from work or school, or maybe just added responsibilities you have this year, or maybe just unwanted or unexpected change in your life. 
or maybe you can't quite put your finger on it. That's kind of been my case. You know, things just haven't felt right for a while. And of course, when I talk and I pray with my friends that are in Haiti, who literally don't know necessarily where their next meal or their water that they're going to drink is going to come from, I kind of realize I really don't have anything to complain about. But that almost puts me deeper in the funk too, right? These days, people, I think, are quick to label things. We love labels right now, don't we? And so there's a new label that's been kind of put on part of this condition. It's called the Sunday Scaries. Or maybe you've heard it as the uh, Sunday Dread, okay? It's basically this thing that happens to people on Sunday afternoon when they realize the weekend is ending and they've got to go back to work the next day. Um, and maybe there's a number of factors. Maybe you work in a toxic work environment. Or maybe you have some performance anxiety, or you're just overworked. Or maybe you have to do things you just don't want to do. Maybe you're even bored at work. Or maybe there's unresolved conflict. While the label is new, I don't think the condition is new. I think it's been around a long time. But perhaps 50 years ago, maybe it was different, or maybe people just dealt with it better. I don't know. I think the, the thing right now, the strategy, the common tactic I see a lot of people use is they just put their head down, push through it, avoid dealing with things, you know, things like your feelings or grief or conflict or loss. I think we all know that doesn't work, right? The problem with this method is it actually steals any chance of joy out of our life it's really hard to experience and enjoy the highs of life when you're trying to just ignore and avoid the lows. You need both. It reminds me of the story of a couple different people. A guy named Zach. Uh, he has had the top role at his job, but then he had a worksite disability. Um, he's an older guy, he's close to retirement, and there's a surprise. His wife is pregnant. And he's like, man, my life is going to be completely different than I've been planning. Or a guy named Levi. Uh, Levi's a record keeper at an office, and he's got a horribly toxic work environment. One of those bosses that once answers now, or heads are going to roll, right? Or maybe a guy named Dave. Um, he's a farmhand. He has to work really hard, often at night out in the cold for almost no pay. But he gets incredible life-changing news. That's actually kind of hard to believe, too. And he has a choice. Does he follow this news and let other people know about it, or does he keep it to himself and just put his head down? Or a guy named Ken. He's in the service industry, and a new government reg comes about that actually causes his business to bloom, an overabundance of customers and things that aren't expected, huge stress. But with it also comes the stress of having to pick what customers he services and which ones he doesn't. Or a guy named Joe. He's an independent contractor in a small town. Doesn't have a website, so all of his business kind of comes by word of mouth. And suddenly his fiance is pregnant, and the kid is not his. He's got to decide, am I going to go through the public shame or do I love her enough to go ahead and go through with the marriage? Now, each of these people have choices to make. They can focus on the problems that they are facing and ignore their feelings, just keep their head down, 
Were they going to embrace the change and maybe also embrace and experience some good that may come? Now, just so you know, all of these people are straight out of the biblical story of Christmas, although I had to make up some of the names because some of them are named. Zach, that's Zechariah. He's the high priest. An angel comes to him and gives him this message that the Messiah is coming and that his wife is going to have a baby and the baby is going to herald the coming of the Messiah. Now, Zach at first doesn't believe it and he questions the angel and he loses his voice for the next year. But it happens. And he gets to experience the Messiah. Dave, he's one of those unnamed characters in the Bible. He's a shepherd. The night that Jesus is born, a multitude of angels come and proclaim, today the Messiah, the King of David, the Son of David is born in Bethlehem. And Dave and his buddies leave their sheep and they go into town to see the baby, to praise and worship and then tell everybody else. And then Joe, that's Joseph. Joseph as well, it finds out Mary is pregnant, but he decides to go through with it and in the process becomes the earthly father of the Messiah. Meanwhile, Levi is a scribe in King Herod's court and he, the scribes were supposed to be watching for the Messiah, but they were so busy keeping their heads on their shoulders from the tyrant King Herod that they missed that he actually came. And Ken is the innkeeper. He missed the opportunity to be part of the birth of Christ and instead Jesus is born in his barn. Ken and Levi missed the Messiah. Perhaps they were just too busy in their own problems or maybe they even forgot why they were believing in God. A few years ago, um, a wrestler turned governor named Jesse Ventura said this quote, organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. He said these words to insult Christians and to insult Jesus. You know, I've never met a healthy person who at a funeral of a loved one doesn't need other people. I know I'm not strong enough to do life alone. I need others. I need prayer. I need support. I need being called out sometimes. And I know I need a crutch at times to get through the hard times. I'm just not strong enough. I need Jesus. And that's why he came. So the word, Jesus, became human, Emmanuel, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He came to be Emmanuel, to be with us. Here's what a few other scriptures say about the outcome of him being here with us. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Jesus told him, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call on those who think they are righteous and healthy, but those who know they are sinners and need help. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom. And then at the very end of the book of Mark, and be sure of this, I am with you 
always, even to the end of the age. Here's my point this morning. Jesus came to save us from eternal punishment for our sins. But he also came to save us from a joyless, hard life alone. He came for eternity, but he came for us now in the present to bring us joy and love and peace and grace. Those are big words. I don't want to sound trite this morning. I wish I could say that once you start following Jesus, everything in life is easy. I wish I could say that once you have Jesus, everything's going to go perfectly for you. There's not going to be any more pain or suffering, no more injustice or, or mourning or hunger or loss. In eternity, those things are true, but not yet, not in this world. What I am saying is when we focus on Jesus, when he is the priority relationship in our life, he helps us. He walks beside us. He gives us strength and peace and grace, and he provides in miraculous ways, often in ways we don't even recognize in the moment. He is with us, and it's good to know that he's here with us. My friends in Haiti humble me all the time with their faith, their steadfast faith and trust in God. Even with their daily danger, even with the suffering that we can't even understand that they go through on a daily basis, they continually rejoice in Christ. And it makes all the difference in the world. I think it's about our perspective. People in the early church did not say, look what this world is coming to. They said, look what came into the world. Emmanuel, Christ with us. Tim is going to come back out, and he's going to lead us in the next four verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I encourage you while we sing these that you reflect on these words as you sing and as we stand together. Go ahead. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. 
mentioned Hiroshima and what had happened there. Um, one year later, during the, well, the remembrance of that day, the city gathered, but the city ruins were actually filled with red and pink flowers of oleanders like these, uh, which had grown and bloomed on their own. One year later, versus the 75 that was expected, hope was restored. In the case of Israel, Israel did return from exile. They rebuilt Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. Hope was restored. Whatever you're facing today, with Jesus' help, and if you listen to the Spirit's soft, quiet voice, hope will be restored for you as well. Let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, I am thankful for this season. While sometimes we start to think about other things with the season and maybe get a little off course, the point of it is, is we need Jesus. And you sent him. You sent him to be a man so that he could experience and walk in our shoes, but also so that his death would be an atoning sacrifice for us. Jesus, I thank you that you followed the plan. You put aside the grandeur of heaven to become a lowly baby born into poverty. The king of kings being born and put in a sheep's feeding trough. But Jesus, I thank you that you came to be with us. Lord, I pray for folks today. I know marriages, there are so many marriages that are having a hard time right now. There's something about this season that just maybe exasperates what's already been going in the background. I pray you fill in those gaps. Lord, I know that there are people facing all sorts of health issues. Some of them are just chronic pain and the ailments of life. Some are terminal issues. I pray that you can heal them. 
that you will step in and heal their bodies. And if you don't feel, heal their physical bodies, Lord, I, I pray that you continue to heal their spirit, heal their hearts, give them time to be able to seek forgiveness and to give forgiveness. Lord, I pray for people who are just struggling to make ends meet. While the inflation here is not as bad as it is in Haiti, I, I know it's a hard time for folks. I pray for some unexpected gifts, some unexpected help with carrying the load. Lord, allow us to feel deeply. And if that means we have to go through some hard feelings and some sadness and sorrow, allow us to feel that deeply so that we can all the more enjoy the joy and the highs of life and the season to come. Jesus, thank you for loving us far more than we deserve and loving us long before we were even born. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.